Hey everyone, it's Neil from the GameCube Was Cool podcast. Mike and I would just like to start this episode by saying thank you so much to everyone who has supported our show so far. Since our first episode on May 12th, 2020, we have just surpassed over 1,000 downloads and we cannot be happier with the success of our little show since we've started. We want to thank everybody who's downloaded all the episodes so far, followed us on Instagram, and maybe even shared the show with friends and family. We're really excited for the future of the podcast and we hope that you come along the journey with us. We're so excited to talk about more games that we played as kids at friends' houses, or maybe we played it at a McDonald's while we were waiting for our Happy Meals. So, without further ado, let's get on with episode 12 of the GameCube is Cool podcast, which starts right now. The GameCube GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So, so, Mike, how are you doing so far this week? This week's been, been pretty pretty good, you know? I've enjoyed my... Ooh, that sounds nice. What's that? I'm pouring I'm pouring one water bottle into another because I have two on the go. <laughs> uh, I'm, su- I'm such a fit boy that I have, like, so many water bottles going. Like, this one was for running this morning. This one I ate breakfast with. And now I need one for the podcast. So you have so... your podcast water bottle, and you have your breakfast water bottle, and your running water bottle. Do you have any other bottles for different activities? No, not really. I mean, usually the running water bottle just becomes my main water bottle for the full day. Uh, and then at night, I also have that one by my bedstand because I sleep with a fan on and as simultaneously my mouth stays open. <laughs> so naturally, I wake up feeling like I'm about to die. <laughs> now, what brand is your water bottle? Just uh, out of curiosity. This water bottle I'm holding in my hand right now, if you can hear that, it's uh, Genuine Health. Okay. See if we, they can. Or Genuine, us. depending on what kind of a person you are. I would love if, if, I mean, I'm going somewhat off topic here, but because our friends have been watching the Fast and Furious franchise a lot, and I would love if Ludacris could sponsor us some way. I don't know if he has a, a production company, but I'm a, I'm a big Ludacris fan. Okay. I'm not a fan of anything from Fast and the Furious other than Vin Diesel. I love Vin Diesel. I think he's a great actor. Uh, of course, star actor of The Pacifier. Mm, yes, of course. That's my favorite Disney, uh, <laughs> Disney movie. Favorite Vin Diesel movie uh, other than... A, of course, Iron Giant, when he where he voice acted one line. <laughs> Just like, uh, I mean, I guess that's why they got him for Groot, right? That was the whole bit there. I think so. He's done some really, I think those are the only two that he's mm-hmm. done voice acting wise. Now, I don't know if uh, anyone knows this story. I, th- I think I probably recounted this story to you. But uh, did you know that Vin Diesel's car actually broke down in Mississauga, Ontario? Yeah, I've heard that before. We're from Ontario. I, I wish. I wish. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did break down in Mississauga, Ontario, just so people know. That was hilarious in the last episode when I listened back to it. We say that we're from Ontario, Canada twice within about five minutes. <laughs> uh, just so people know, that's where we're from. Uh, very nice right now. It's very warm, very sticky. It's humid, yeah. I had a nice weekend up at the cottage or over at the cottage, I guess. I went uh, west over towards Windsor. Is that what you're supposed um, to say when you're like not north but or south? You're, you're, you're east or west. You say over. Well, I was over there. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Well, you're not up at a cottage when I drove directly west. Yeah, but everyone us, like, says I'm up at everything. the cottage. No one says I'm like down yeah. at the cottage. Well, I, I don't think I would call Kingsville and Windsor south of us, even though they, they technically are probably slightly mm-hmm. south. But I, I would say that's over at the cottage. <laughs> it just seems so like strange. I just. Nobody goes, nobody goes east to their cottage. That's for sure. There's no cottages east. Oh, look, Prince Edward County. That's east, but also north. So. Northeast. Yeah. 
I suppose so. But yeah, usually it's up at the cottage, but that up means you've gone north. I, I wonder if people in the States, because in Canada, really, everyone's south, right? And so everyone goes north right. usually to go to their cottage or to go somewhere uh, different. Sure. So it's often said that, you know, people be like, oh, I'm going up here. So in the States, do they say I'm going down to my cottage? Usually because they, I mean, in Florida, in Florida, in Seinfeld, the only, that's my touchstone to (laughs) Americans is that they always say we're going down to Florida to visit my folks. Like they always say that they're going down somewhere. Yeah, that's fair. Cottage culture is a very Canadian thing. Like it's, as far as I know. I'd say it's a Northeast, like Northeast thing, I think more than anything, to be honest. Yeah, we need it because cities are terrible. Because like, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like a metro, like the Northeast, you know, including Canada, New York, you know, all that, uh, that area is very much, you know, a metropolis in most parts. Yep. Like New York, they're often in, you know, the Finger Lakes. Yeah, for sure. I, and I don't know. It's just like when I went to I went to Europe last year. Well, I went to the UK last year and I uh, saw some of my extended family in Ireland and like none of them really could. They didn't really understand what like cottages. Well, because that is like, a cottage. That? Is that like... <laughs> Ireland is. A yeah. Cottage. They, like, they, yeah. I went to Ireland. I was in Ireland and I was like, I, I was in cottage country. I was like, it's this. We just we escaped to what, what you live in just to explain it. Basically. Ireland. Europe's cottage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like yeah, that's Europe's Muskoka. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we do promise you that this is the GameCube was cool podcast episode twelve now. Wait, um, we're promising them that this is the episode. I, 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 I very much <laughs> promise that this is a, a brand new episode of the GameCube was cool podcast. Yeah, we're not uh, doing a, a clip show today. Yeah, like how it's just like, oh, it's the funniest moments of. Hey, remember that time when we said this, and then it like cuts away to when we said something stupid. Yep. Maybe, maybe one day we'll do something like that. Like on episode one hundred, we'll go back to all the things that we said that were wrong which is probably a lot <laughs> yeah a lot of uh, a lot of fact checking yeah definitely a lot of fact checking we'll do our best to kind of correct ourselves i did want to correct one thing i said not a correction more of just a, a i want to fix something that i said i did say that uh single dads are the only people that use the, those baby changing tables in butt washrooms i meant to say just dads out with their kids alone i didn't mean it like a widowed father or like a divorced dad i'm sorry i came i heard that and i felt like a dick <laughs> I, I love that qual of it. That was really funny. No, that was a good one. And uh, <laughs> and I did feel bad when I was listening back to the episode. It's like, ah, oh, that came out wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that was a good bit. We like to have these little opening segments. I did have another topic planned for this one, but I'll save that one for next week yeah. if it fits into the conversation. I felt like cottages in uh, northern Ontario was a good topic uh, to start this one off with. But this episode of the GameCube is Cool podcast is all about Super Monkey Ball, uh, Super Monkey Ball 2 specifically, as well as Super Monkey Ball Adventure. We did cover Super Monkey Ball on episode one and as well as Pac-Man World 2 and 3. Yeah, so this is one of our double A episodes, as we call them, where we kind of take apart a couple of games that are related to each other. This one being Pac-Man and Super Monkey Ball, because they're arcadey games, I guess. They were developed around the same time. They both, funny enough, kind of went from these very much uh, doing one thing arcade games to moving towards a more open world adventure type games. Right. One did it well and one didn't. Find out which. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, 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 maybe we'll disagree on this. I think both franchises actually have their own merits. Um, just doing research. I mean, I, I could find uh, good qualities in both. Uh, I've, I've played Monkey Ball more than I haven't actually played Pac-Man World, but these are Pac-Man World is actually a franchise that if I can find a copy of either game, I'll probably pick up. Mm-hmm. 
just because it looked interesting. Um, but we can we can jump right into it. Uh, just so everybody knows, our podcast does uh, go live every Thursday morning. Um, we, we've been going for 12 weeks now. We want to thank everybody for the support. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at uh, the GameCube Pod. We're not on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, so please stop sending us paid you links to your YouTube pages. We won't follow you there. <laughs> There's like one account that keeps sending us YouTube links, really? and I don't know I what looked. to do. <laughs> I don't even have a, I don't even have a personal YouTube account, so I couldn't even even if I, I can go give them a view. I checked out the Game Punks actually, Montreal Boys Game Punks. They're fantastic. Uh, they, they got some good uh, good content over there. So if you guys want to check out any cool YouTube content, you won't find us, but you will find the Game Punks. They're a lot like you and I, but they swear a lot more, which I respect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start this episode off officially with uh, Pac-Man World 2, which was released on March 19th, 2002. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance. The developer of this game was Namco Home Tech, publisher Namco. Overall, in the, in the U.S. at least, this game sold about 1.8 million copies. And on GameCube, it ranked about 73.83%. Uh, so, uh, oh no, sorry, GameCube uh, was about 73% of those sales. So it sold right. really high on GameCube. Yeah, 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 that's what I meant to say. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, all these games actually, most of them were released at some point on other consoles. But the GameCube versions are one quite high selling and also quite high in demand too mm-hmm. neil you'll say what these games are worth but from what i saw on ebay for some of these they, they were worth a pretty penny yeah these games aren't going cheap anymore uh pac-man world 2 is probably the cheapest of these games we're going to talk about on average around 30 to 35 bucks mm-hmm. canadian uh so not not super high but it's getting into that mid-tier range of games that i would probably be typically willing to spend on a game I don't really like to spend much more than $100 on a GameCube game, personally. <laughs> I don't think I ever have spent $100 on a GameCube game. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I don't think I have either. No. No. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. I'm sure that day is coming. But, uh, yeah, but all these games, I think, I believe all four of these games that we're going to talk about also got Player's Choice Editions. So if you want that disgusting yellow case, <laughs> that exists, too, and it would be slightly cheaper, obviously. Um, and also, there was a Player's Choice GameCube edition of the game, which packed in uh, Pac-Man Versus in North America. Mm-hmm. So there's that alternate, like a kind of a variant there as well, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. So I guess the first thing to talk about here would be just the origins of Pac-Man World. Yeah, I was. I actually have a little bit of information about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can go back even further if you want. Pac-Man was released in 1980. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, Pac-Man was released in 1980 by Bandai Namco, and that's all I'm going to talk about about the original Pac-Man because this will take way too long if we go through Pac-Man's <laughs> history. Yeah, so let's just uh, fast forward to 1999. <laughs> Or 1997? 1997. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. 1997. So Pac-Man World was actually started as a prototype on PS1 known as uh, the Pac-Man Ghost Zone. And it was revealed in 1997 at E3, uh, RIP. <laughs> the uh, the story or the uh, pitch of this game was that a teen is sucked into a Pac-Man cabinet. It's a bit, a little bit of like a gritty take on Pac-Man. The music was kind of darker. The Actually, the, um, the composer of the game is the composer who worked on Guitar Hero, Sonic uh, the Black Knight, Snoopy and the Red Baron. Hmm. His name is uh, Tommy Talanko. I think I'm saying that right. So kind of an interesting composer there. He has a pretty cool... Uh, degree of work i think like just that mid-tier range of games that a lot of us played when we were kids yep. but unfortunately this game was canceled uh due to quality reasons and the developer who goes by the name of scott rogers uh became the new head of developer and they took the scraps of this game 
Uh, as inspiration, they took levels from Packland uh, and Pack in Time from respectively 1984, 1995 to develop this uh, this new game. Um, they took also elements from Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man and uh, sort of like the characters, levels and things like that. So I think we should actually address this because you've been saying this line for as long as I've known you. And it's the fact that people don't remember Pac-Man. People remember playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, that is correct. I mean, I'm sure that there are some people out there that love Pac-Man, but if you're like a 90s to 2000s kid, the odds are you love Miss Pac-Man. That is the game that perfected the gameplay of, of Pac-Man. And yeah, it's, it's what most people played on their browsers and on websites and things like that in ComTech. That, that's where I played Pac-Man. I, it was in our computer tech class in high school. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that was Miss Pac-Man, like a ROM of Miss Pac-Man. It was, yeah. Cause, uh, and it's funny too, because even just reading about Pac-Man World, uh, there's, there's a quote here that basically kind of uh, justifies what you were just saying. Uh, it's talking about how the development team focused on making the game live up to the flavor and feel of the original Pac-Man and bringing this character into like a 3D adventure. But this proved to be a difficult task as most of the fans of the series have only fond memories of the original and Miss Pac-Man, which put a lot of pressure on the team. Right. Yeah. Like if you wanted to take uh, taking elements from Pac-Land and Pac in time, I, I'm sure that that's a great concept. But yeah, most people have never played those or maybe not most people, but I have never I never knew about Pac-Land until it was a stage Same. in uh, Super Smash Bros. 4. Yeah. So, Smash always, uh, always teaching us. Always teaching us, yeah, and, it, and and that was the stage that I wanted to avoid, like, the play. That stage sucks. <laughs> it does. It's terrible. <laughs> it's awful, yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of how the game sort of came together. It was scrapped in 1997 due to quality reasons, but they sort of took all the pieces back. They made a new game, called it uh, Pac-Man World 1, technically, and it was released on October 15th, 1999 uh, on, uh, on the PS1 only. So mm-hmm. it didn't come to N64. I, uh, GameCube never got a port or anything, so... I think it did get re-released on uh, modern-gen consoles, PS4 and Xbox One later. But uh, if you wanted to find that classic game, it would only be on PS1. And then about uh, three years later, we got the sequel, Pac-Man World 2, on uh, on the plat- on the GameCube platforms. Now, this is from what I've read for reviews. And again, I haven't actually played Pac-Man World 2. I've watched a lot of gameplay footage and things like that and obviously know the character but uh watching footage and reading reviews this seems like the the best of uh the three uh would you agree neil yeah i would agree with that uh pac-man world one it reminded i got real uh crash bandicoot vibes which isn't a bad thing but Mm -hmm. uh that camera angle the combat not really a 3d platformer but not really a 2d platformer sort of that 2.5d in between camera angle Yes. But Pac-Man World brought it into the full 3D space that we know from Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, of course. Mario 64 is the first thing I thought of. As soon as I saw gameplay, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is Mario 64. Yeah, I, except, you know, they introduced the fruits from, from Pac-Man and uh, the little yeah. dots and the ghosts, of course. Yeah, I think they do a really nice job with it. I think it's it's definitely, it's got a market. And at this time, this was when... You know, everyone was making uh, 3D platformers and like 2002 was the time to do it. I think it's a very, very difficult thing. And we're going to talk about this throughout the episode, but it's a very difficult thing to take something like Pac-Man and put him into a 3D world. You know, it's because it's he's because that's not what he was ever made for. Right. If you want to think of it in this way, I'm just thinking because I'm playing The Last of Us right now. <laughs> part two. Part two. Mm-hmm. And think of it this way. Right. You can put Ellie into a 2d arcade like a a 16-bit game right and 
you would have so much fun with it because you know her backstory you understand what she is like what uh, what what motivates her even if you pl are playing something that is like low graphically is 16-bit where you just do a couple moves and you only have a couple buttons you can still get just as much enjoyment out of that because you know the character but when you switch it around and you bring something from way back that from a 16-bit 8-bit really game and bring it into a modern 3D platforming world, it's very difficult to have that same kind of grasp as the audience because the audience only knows Pac-Man from the Miss Pac-Man games mostly, right? Right. So it's it's a it's a huge challenge for uh, for not only developers but the producers of the game and just everyone involved. Yeah, we going back uh, two episodes now when we talked about uh, Simpsons Hit and Run. I believe that was, or maybe that was. Two, yeah, two or three episodes ago, I forget. Uh, but uh, just you know, going from a cartoon to a, a yeah. video game—that's that's hard. I, I I almost think that that's easier because at least you have the voice actors, you have these years of of uh, history with the characters. You know what they would be like if they were in a game. Pac-Man had no facial expressions in the original game. They didn't have a voice in Pac-Man World One. They never gave him a voice. That this is the first game where he had a voice and everything like mm -hmm. that. So they had to. They have to basically create this two D circle into a character that you have to. Yeah. You that has to be fun and you have to be able to relate to. Having almost at this point, let's see, twenty two years of history with with a character that you have no real idea what the backstory is. There's no. Lo this game adds lore to Pac-Man for the first time. We can, <laughs> we can talk a little bit about plot if you want. But uh, yeah, so this is, I, I was trying to think actually, is this the first arcade game like from the 80s and 70s that kind of brought, brought in, was brought into the 3D realm? I was trying to think of something else. Like obviously there were games like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter that added like a 2D or a 3D background and everything like that before this. But I was trying to think of another game that went from 2D to 3D, like arc I mean, Mario, I guess. Would I was, count, I was about to say uh, the yeah. only other one I could think of, because obviously I was thinking of, thinking of this before the episode was Mario. Yeah, he's really the only other time that this was successfully pulled off. Uh, the, also, the thing, too, with Mario is that he constantly evolved. Right. And that's something that obviously Pac-Man didn't because Pac-Man was only ever meant for an arcade system, uh, an arcade cabinet. So Mario was constantly trying to be at the forefront of gaming while Pac-Man was mostly just trying to be that, doing that one thing that everyone loves. Right. Yeah, I was trying to think of the other arcade, like classics, like Galga, Centipede, and just stuff Space like that. Space Invaders, all that kind of, you know, Asteroids. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is that, that all those kind of games wouldn't lend themselves very well to uh, to creating their own 3D genre. I mean, I guess you could argue Donkey Kong. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country would be the, because that was, uh, it was the Super NES version of Donkey Kong that they brought to the 3D. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Donkey Kong 64, which, as everybody knows, I hate. But <laughs> um, but yeah, that again, Donkey Kong is in the same vein as Mario, where it was always evolving to that. It went it went from 8-bit to 16-bit to the 64 era. Like Pac-Man didn't really have that jump. I guess no. Pac-Man World is that jump from. But again, you're not you're not on like a, a map collecting dots, avoiding ghosts. They add different elements. They added uh, combat and puzzle solving and platforming. Mm -hmm. Well, so so you mentioned plot. So let's. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the Pac-Man World 2 plot? I know we have to talk about Pac-Man World 3 uh, of as well. So Yeah, I, I won't go too deep into it. But yeah, the little bit of lore that we get from Pac-Man <laughs> is the game starts off in the medieval era. Um, there's a brave knight by the name of uh, Sir Pac-A-Lot. <laughs> you go nuts with that name if you want. Uh, so he battles an evil ghost, King Spooky. They got real creative with this. Um, and... Uh, 
let me see here. There's uh, he collects five ordinary fruits, transforms into one golden fruit, which seals away King Spooky under a tree in the center of Pack Village, as one does. Years later, one of the uh, the dumb ghosts from Pac Man. Um, can you name the the ghosts from Pac Man? No. How yeah. could I name? Them they have names. They have names. Uh, we'll go. We'll go back to that. Uh, anyway, one of these ghosts uh, picks that golden fruit from the tree, thus releasing Spooky from his tree to wreak havoc on Pac Land once again. And it's up to you to collect the fruits and reseal him into his prison. I don't know. <laughs> that's how that and that's the that's how the game starts off and uh, then you're on your way um again like we said the game was very well received it's uh very accessible uh easy to learn it's fun which as i always say i i appreciate it when video games are fun <laughs> you know fun i know fun <laughs> yeah so that, that that's again like that's the first time in 22 years they and i don't think pac-man world one added a ton of backstory to pac-man really i think this is the no. first one that really sort of spring launched him into giving him a little bit of a some lore well back at the uh, back of the case time sure thing pac-man world 2 let's see here the i almost forgot thanks for reminding me uh <laughs> the ghost gang stri- strikes again they have picked the magical golden fruit from an ancient tree and unleashed the most wicked entity pac-land has ever seen it's time for pac-man to take control and return what was taken with brand new skills a zany cast of enemies and friends and a vast world to explore his heroics will be pushed to the limits. Step aside, because Pac-Man is coming through, and he's on a mission. That's pretty good. That's not, that's actually one of the better, especially after reading all those cases for oh. <laughs> the extreme or the, for the arcade sports uh, games last week. Yeah, this is a breath of fresh air. Yeah, this is a treat this week for me. <laughs> Moving right into Pac-Man World Three was released on November seventeenth, two thousand and five. Three years later. Mm-hmm. They took their time, which is yeah, relatively long. I mean, nowadays that's short, but uh, yeah. but back then, quite long for a 3D platformer uh, in this era. You know, yeah, you would think that with a, a game as I mean, in my mind, that this is a type of game that you would want to just get annualized, maybe have two or three of these, and then maybe like a party game. But they mm-hmm. they were releasing Pac-Man, the Pac-Man World Fevers, and stuff like that. So there were other Pac-Man games coming out in between. And Pac-Man Rally too. The Pac-Man Rally, of course. So I guess because <laughs> every every franchise needs a racing game. Every fr- when's Last of Us <laughs> Racing coming out? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess I kind of answered my own question. They they were they were they did have their hands in many different on many different things. They, they, the DS was out at this point, so I'm sure there's a ton of Pac-Man games on the DS. I could be wrong. Yeah. We're not a DS podcast. <laughs> Anyway, we could be. We could, we could maybe someday. <laughs> Pac-Man World Three. Uh, I said the release date already. It was also released on PS2, Xbox, the D- the DS, and my beloved PSP. Hmm. Uh, same thing. Developed by Namco as well as published. Uh, this game was not quite as well received. It got mainly sixes, whereas the last game I believe got sevens and eights. A little bit higher, uh, higher reviewed. Yeah. There was a canceled GBA version, Game Boy Advance, for those of you at home, uh, which unfortunately was canceled. Uh, and this game marks 25 years of Pac-Man, which was a, a, a that's a big deal for the character. It's his 25th birthday. Actually, in the plot, he's celebrating his 25th birthday when he's uh, that's right. teleported by his former nemesis, Orson, who appears in the first uh, Pac-Man World game. That's right. Um, so he does return. So uh, good to see Pac-Man celebrating his birthdays. I guess now that puts him at, uh, what, 40? Yeah, yeah. He's 40. Wow. Oh, my God. Or he's turning 40. He's turning 40. Turning 40. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get the exact date that the Pac-Man cabinet <laughs> came out. but And I was wrong, actually. Pac-Man World 3 is the first time that we uh, get to see Pac-Man speak. So he didn't have a voice actor in Pac-Man World 2 either. Uh, so this is the first time that we get to hear Pac-Man speaking outside of any sort of cartoon. Yeah, his speaking is 
is I mean it's basically what you would expect. I can I can picture it. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah, no, I can I can picture how good the voice acting is throughout this game. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's voice acting. Would also like to point out that uh, this Pac-Man, this iteration of Pac-Man, this 3D iteration of Pac-Man is the same one that you see in Smash today. This is kind of where he's taken from. Yeah, this is the Pac-Man that that we know with the oven mitts and the red gloves and the red shoes. Um this game is a little bit more pricey than Pac-Man World 2. It's uh, like 45 to 50 bucks Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit harder to find, I guess, because it didn't sell as well. Uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, sought after. It's the least well-received, I think, of the three of the trilogy. Uh, this game sort of incorporated a lot more uh, combat. Uh, it focused a little bit too much on the action over yeah. the previous Pac-Man games, the platforming, puzzle solving, and whatnot. You probably already know this, but uh, I, this is crazy. The Don Bluth stuff. Yeah, I was going to say this game, uh, it started out as a not a Pac-Man world game. It was supposed to be titled Pac-Man Adventures, working with the animator Don Bluth, which as most kids from the 90s would know his work uh, on Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Anastasia, and the Dragon's Lair um, series. The, the man who created an American tale himself, Don Bluth, uh, was supposed to do animation and work with the team for Pac-Man Adventures, which would have been amazing. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Um, he, he's like, that's kind of like the Disney that everyone thinks is Disney, but isn't Disney. Cause he, he was actually from Disney, I think, right? Yeah. He was actually a former, uh, uh, Disney employee who kind of did his own thing. Yeah. I think he left Disney like in the sixties or seventies. Uh, he did mm-hmm. like that or the original kind of movies like Cinderella and, um, Sleeping Beauty and stuff like that. And then left and did, like I said before, um, Anastasia, Anastasia, I think is the classic movie that everyone thinks is Disney, but it isn't. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that game was unfortunately eventually scrapped and then reworked into Pac-Man World 3. But unfortunately, Don Bluth did not get to work on that title at all. Yeah, really, uh, I, I, I got a little sad when I when I read that because I was like, no. It could have been really cool. Um, I don't think he does. He's still alive, right, Don Bluth? <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't work on any video games recently. No, uh, he did work on video games before. Like, it, it is something that he was, I guess, involved with. Uh, mm-hmm. I Ninja yes. was actually the one that uh, that comes to mind for me. I'm trying to think of any others, but that was and and that was for Namco. No, it'd be too bad. I mean, like Nam- Namco Bandai are, are they're still a very well known publisher. They kind of came back into uh, like had a resurgence in the uh, late 2010s with the Dark Souls series. They they published those games. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also publish uh, they publish the new Smash Bros. games too, right? Yep. And, I mean, and we should also uh, say that it, that is Bandai Namco rather than just Namco. That's true. Yeah, they did merge together and, and they've become kind of like uh, what Capcom is doing now. Bandai Namco also ha- having a huge resurgence, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, always, always nice to see. But anyway, quick uh, overview of the plot of this game. We have to add a little bit more lore to Pac-Man before we uh, <laughs> send him off uh, into the abyss. <laughs> So there's this evil. I'm gonna. I'm just trying to explain these games without actually playing them. It's kind of just hard. <laughs> yeah. So there's this evil genius, Irwin. Uh, he sucks the energy out of the world of ghosts. Uh, the ghost world collapses into the real world because everything's off balance, right? It's uh, it's like Anakin Skywalker kind of throwing off the balance in the Force. <laughs> Pac-Man is attacked by uh, spectral monsters. Pac-Man has to join forces with classic ghosts. Here's their names. Okay, Orson, Pinky, and Clyde. <laughs> so there's three of them for you. To stop the evil Irwin. I think I actually knew Pinky. Now that I think about it. I knew Clyde. I, think I actually knew that. Yeah, yeah. You knew Clyde. I knew Clyde. Why? I don't know. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming Pinky's the pink ghost. I don't. Maybe Orson's the orange one. Clyde. Is the 
colorful ones. <laughs> They're all colorful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we need to we need to up our Pac-Man uh, our Pac-Man knowledge here. Pac-Man lore knowledge. But that's kind of the plot of the game there in a, a rough sense. Basically, the ghost dimension's been disturbed and never disturb the ghost dimension if you learn no. anything from Pac-Man. Or from uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Of course. Shadow oh, Realm. Oh, sure. How could I forget? That, that, that seems like the same thing. Ghost Dimension, Shadow Realm. I think it is the same thing, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, let me read the back of the case here. This is a long one. Here we go. Get ready. It's your world. Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> in a mad pursuit of pack world domination evil genius Irwin creates a machine that can penetrate the spectral realm now the spectral realm is collapsing into the real world causing a massive upheaval as Irwin unleashes hordes of baddies into the once peaceful pack land on the eve of his 25th birthday Pac-Man is mystifyingly teleported out of Pack village and into a dark unstable world now it's up to Pac-Man and his old nemesis turned ally Orson to put a stop to Irwin's plot Along the way, encounter a host of ghastly ghosts, monsters, and robots, plus some unexpected friends. Together with the unlikely alliance with ghosts, Pinky and Clyde, Pac-Man must save Pac-Land from ruin. Damn. Yeah. I'd also like to point out here, too, uh, so for years, probably for at least since high school, Neil has been saying every time a Pac-Man game is brought up, Neil is like, this is a good Pac-Man, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good running joke uh, between us. And so... Uh, after all this, can you concretely say that Pac-Man World 2 is, quote-unquote, the good Pac-Man? No, I think it's Pac-Man Fever. I think it's it's the it's, it's another one. I keep forgetting. which. I don't know if this is the one. I think it's a later game. I don't think we've talked about the Pac-Man game yet. So, by the way, for everyone listening, we did just talk about Pac-Man World 2 and Pac-Man World 3. We will be talking about the other Pac-Man games on the GameCube. That includes Pac-Man Fever, Pac-Man Versus, and Pac-Man World Rally, and those will be talked about on separate episodes. Uh, Pac-Man Fever and Pac-Man Versus are both party games, while Pac-Man Rally is a racing game. Moving right along, we're going to switch over to uh, a different franchise. Um, I think, is this the one that you considered more beloved, Mike? The Super Monkey Ball franchise? I think so, yeah, for sure. This is a game that I've played Super Monkey Ball 2 a lot when I was... Uh, uh, a kid, but also at uh, as in university as a as an adult, uh, I I really like this game. Yeah, this franchise has aged very well uh, overall. I think there's just something so satisfying about balancing a marble on a board, getting it through a puzzle under sixty seconds with cute little monkeys. And mm -hmm. anyway, Super Monkey Ball Two was released on August twenty fifth, two thousand and two. Uh, it's a game. This is a GameCube exclusive. The developer is Amusement Vision, published by Sega. So. Not technically a Dreamcast game. We're, we're calling these ones GameCube games. Uh, this was only 10 months after the first Monkey Ball game, kind of making it more like a DLC pack almost if this were to be done today. But it was its own game. It was a full full titled release. And it won uh, E3 2002 Best Puzzle, Trivia, and Parlor Game. Hmm. Uh, ranked into the high eights. Uh, it added new mechanics such as teleportation doors, switches, you can control speed, new obstacles, and more. If you're looking to pick up this game today, it retails for between $40 and $45, roughly. So I think this one is the more pricey of the three Monkey Ball games. I don't see this one as much. No, uh, no I, I don't either. I just, I recognize it from, because my friend Jake had it when we were in university. So I recognize always seeing the case, but I haven't seen it in a long time, I don't think. But it's a it's a it's a great game, and I I have a lot to say about Super Monkey okay. Ball because I'm a big um, well, fan. Well, I'll, I'll let you go ahead then. I'll let you take it. I I have not quite as much to say. I, I played this game at friends' houses uh, 
maybe for a half an hour at a time in between Smash Bros and uh, Mario Kart. Those were more our jam. But I uh, my favorite. I just remember the. Uh, I forget the name of the mini game now. I'm sure it's like the. I'm sure it's unanimously the most popular one. But it's the one where you go down a ramp, you jump, and then your ball opens up into like a butterfly wing, and you just soar, and you have to land on the target or you land in the water. And you win points. You have to go through rings, sort of like Star Fox. Yeah, all all those mini games are really good. Yeah, I think there's a pool mini game too and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'll let you go ahead. Though that's kind of my memory of playing this game back in. I believe it was Monkey Ball One that I that I played back in the day. I haven't, unfortunately, I don't have Monkey Ball Two. I have Monkey Ball One and Super Monkey Ball Adventure. Still looking for number two. So hopefully someday soon. <laughs> Well, uh, I know you did just mention uh, Amusement Vision, and so I don't know if you recognize the name Amusement Vision. They weren't around for very long, but uh, they were kind of an offshoot of Sega at the time, Okay. and uh, they made the original uh, Arcade Monkey Ball. So before it was Super Monkey Ball, they made the Monkey Ball uh, version, as well as F-Zero AX and Ollie King. These were all um, arcade games. Oh, and of course, uh, Virtua Striker, to bring it back to the Dreamcast episode. Yeah, they also made Daytona USA 2001 on the Dreamcast. And one of your favorite games of all time, they made F-Zero GX. Yeah, I really wish that uh, we're going to talk about, we'll save that for the F-Zero episode. <laughs> but yeah, no, these guys have a pretty, very good uh, repertoire here. I'm trying to yeah, just Yeah, they were only around for what, what... Uh, four years too, I think, or five years. Very short span. Were they, were, were they bought out? Like what happened? I'm not sure. We'll have to, maybe you can do some research while I, uh, while I talk here. Uh, yeah, I'll let you talk about your uh, history with Monkey Ball, though. So you take the floor. So I remember playing this game a lot as a kid. I remember playing both games. And I think I talked about Super Monkey Ball 1 a bit when we on our first episode. And I think what really strikes me with these games is how intuitive they are to play. And just as soon as you you pick up a controller, you know immediately what to do. As soon as you start moving that joystick, you're like, oh, I'm controlling the world and not the ball. And I remember vividly playing this game and realizing that and thinking that was so cool and so different that I could actually control the world instead of just controlling the character. And now we mentioned the idea of controlling the world on the unplayable game uh, episode (laughs) when we were talking about Casper. (laughs) Yeah. With Casper? So (laughs) controlling the world usually means that the game is bad. Superman 64, Casper, like it's, it's, uh, it's not a good way to develop a game usually. But Super Monkey Ball is one of the only games I've ever played or seen that does it in such a beautiful way, in such an intuitive way. Yeah, there's just something so satisfying about these types of puzzle games where, yeah, moving the board, because that was like a legitimate physical game that people used to play where you'd move a marble through a Mm -hmm. maze to get it to the end or something like that. And this is just that. Like there's games like, I believe it's on Switch, Marble Madness. Yeah, that's an old, it's an old game actually, Marble Madness. Yeah, they make new iterations of it though like i don't yeah yeah so a lot a lot of people actually have like uh accused super monkey ball of uh, plagiarizing or like copying that but it's actually quite a different game when you think about it you're not yes. moving the world you're moving the ball itself uh you're also seeing the ball from uh kind of a bird's eye view almost mm-hmm. uh so it, it is a it's, it's a different you know type of game and so uh to anyone who says that they're just copying it i say uh no I, I want to ask you, though, does does Marble Madness have the protagonists AA, Mimi, Gon Gon, and Baby in it? I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> See, exactly. It's all about the lore. If, we, if, if you haven't learned anything yet from the Pac-Man world part of this episode, you must learn that lore is very important in these early 2000s games. 
you're like an Italian grandma. You gotta have the lore with the claps. You know, you gotta have it. <laughs> gotta have it. Yeah. Um, just to go back to uh, Amusement Vision real fast, uh, it was a Sega move to um, ensure more financial stability. They consolidated a bunch of their uh, studios into six main ones, and th- that was Sega Wow, Sega AM2, Hitmaker, Amusement Vision, Smilebit, which I love that name, <laughs> and uh, Sonic Team. Yeah. Uh, in 2003, they merged them, those teams back into a uniformed R&D structure throughout 2004, so a year after, which kind of lines up with their last release, which was Shining Force Resurrection of the Dark Dragon in 2004. So they were basically merged with all the other Sega studios to just consolidate, put all their eggs in one basket, and just move on from there. Um, and just to go, so we did a little bit of history on Pac-Man World and like just the whole idea of Pac-Man itself. So let's talk a little bit of the history of Monkey Ball. So There was the original 1999 version that was made by Amusement Vision for arcades that was just called Monkey Ball. And the entire idea of this was, like I said before, uh, that I loved about it, was to have no instructions ever needed. Because they wanted kids to come up to the the arcade console and just immediately start playing it. Yeah. Super Monkey Ball 2 got probably the highest ratings of any of these games. And even the Game Boy version, Super Monkey Ball Jr., got great reviews which was extremely rare for this time to to have like the ports well i can see this this franchise translating really well into handheld just because Mm -hmm. of movement controls touch controls things like that it's great on gamecube but for me this is the type of game that should be an amazing yeah like i'm looking at the games released now and, and yeah it's it's basically since 2007 ish it's basically been ios android um ps vita even um it is definitely a pick up and play game because the levels are so short so there's an amazing amazing article on the porting of super monkey ball 2 and super monkey ball 1 to the iphone uh back in 2009 actually right very interesting article i recommend everyone read it it's uh by uh, ethan einhorn who is actually the uh sega associate creative director on the super monkey ball franchise and it's it's not even really an article. It's a postmortem. And for anyone who doesn't know what a postmortem is in project management, it's basically you say what 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 went well, what went wrong, you know, what happened in the project, and it's very very detailed. It's like a huge article, uh, but it's really interesting to see how uh, they they worked really hard to get this to an iPhone, and they worked really hard on the development. It was about a nine month development period, which is crazy for an iPhone game. Yeah, they, I, I really respect this this studio's uh, love and support on this franchise. Just like like you said, porting it to iPhones real fast. They also ported it from arcades to GameCube in like two months. So yeah. they must have already had it in the works. But from the arcade, which was released, I think you said it, in on June 23rd, 2001. It was then released on GameCube on September 14th, 2001, which is only, is that even three months? What's the July? Not, Not even, even three months. months. Yeah. Anyways. To keep on going with the uh, kind of history of Monkey Ball. So after Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2 came out, we got uh, Banana Blitz, which was released on Wii. And that is uh, actually a pretty popular game. And it actually recently just got remastered uh, for the Switch, which is right. pretty cool to see. It's nice to see games like that getting some love. Yeah, I know that when when that was announced, it was a little bit like, a uh-oh, because everyone was hoping for the Monkey Ball 1 and 2. Yes, yeah. At least our generation were hoping for Monkey Ball 1 and 2, but we got Banana Blitz, which it's good to see that they at least recognize that this game has a history, and I'm hoping that they, they dig back a little deeper and release the first two as well. Yeah. Because that would sell like crazy. 
Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking is that they they, they did register a, a new trademark to everything last year. Uh, that was partly to do with Banana Blitz. But there, hey, maybe in the future we'll see uh, Super Monkey Ball three. You know, a proper uh, sequel to two. Uh, maybe we'll see more remasters. Who knows? But uh, interesting that you say that. So there's been there was Monkey Ball one and two, and then after that there were about twenty Monkey Ball games. But you you're saying that none of these count as a Monkey Ball three technically? No, um, uh, not really because none of them really continue the story at all. Right. Uh, and none of them they they all kind of take their own different paths. I'd say the majority, other than Banana Blitz, are basically the same kind of game just done on different consoles and different hardware. Uh, Monkey ball is one of those rare franchises where they actually are more interested in the hardware than the game as we just kind of talked about on the, how much love and care they put into when porting it comes along and that's because of the nature of monkey ball because it's not you're not controlling a character you're controlling the entire world so that gives you a lot of freedom to create this on any device even the engage that's right super monkey ball did yeah. have releases on the engage it's crazy yeah th- th- this might be <laughs> one of those franchises that's appeared on the most platforms yeah yeah it's it's got to be high up there because it's it's on everything yeah. like everything not the gizmondo unfortunately no not the but... gizmondo <laughs> not the uh, not the wonder swan <laughs> just a couple of uh things uh here for super monkey ball 2 to just uh, talk about a little bit uh super monkey ball 2 specifically has a very large modding community mm. so there's a lot of people who have made their own custom level packs for this game and that play on the dolphin emulator which is pretty cool to see always happy to talk about a dolphin neat uh the well the story mode the dialogue is super super cheesy yes. uh, that's i remember that for sure and the story itself is pretty bad, but uh, it's still a good game with lots of fun. And, and you know, any age, like uh, it's for all ages, right? Anyone can play this, pick it up and uh, and have a lot of fun with it. Mike, let me tell you a little bit about that plot. Thank you. So there's this doc- <laughs> there's this Dr. Badboon, OK? Oh, he's an evil him. scientist. Oh, Dr. Badboon, he's a bad guy. He's a bad, bad scientist. And he steals the bananas from Monkey Island. Does this sound like Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze? I believe it does. <laughs> And it's up to the protagonists, A.A., Mimi, Gon Gon, and Baby, to navigate very, very conveniently. There are uh, 10 worlds, 100 <laughs> levels total. That's 10 courses on each world. You must uh, complete all those levels in order to uh, to reclaim those bananas and, uh, and just, you know, take back what's yours and, uh, you know, roll the credits, as they say. It's, uh, it's got a lot of heart. There's, uh, there's death. There's, uh, there's love. <laughs> but uh, in the end, everyone, it's all about family. It's all, it's about, all family. about family. Yeah. Everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. And of course, there's uh, the star of Monkey Ball games has always been the co-op for me. So it's just like the original for Monkey sure. Ball. I think they even have the original Monkey Ball like co-op in here. Yeah, so, they do. Actually, yeah. it's it's uh, they just kind of expand upon it. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, 12 party games, one to four player co-op. And yeah, six returning games from Monkey Ball one, yeah. as well as six new ones. By the end of 2006, Monkey Ball two sold about 760,000 copies in the US, which is not great, but it has like over the years developed a following. So I'm sure that if they re-release this game now, it would probably, especially if they put it on Switch, this would probably become like the fastest selling Monkey Ball game of all time, <laughs> which every Switch game does. There, I'd like to also just uh, speak on the fact of how they have the expert and like the beginner, all, all the different modes that you can play within it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're going through, I don't think I've ever played a game that's given me the same sense of flow uh, mm-hmm. as a full run of just expert to master. It's uh, it, it it makes sense. Like that's it's one of the few games I've ever played where expert makes sense for that level and master the things that happen makes sense for that. As the difficulty goes up, it's a fair difficulty and you understand why. 
And, uh, and at that time, I'd say that's like, there's no games ever doing that. Master for games or like super hard for games at this time were just like the devs trying to cheat you out of something. So it was, uh, it was really nice to play this one. Yeah, game develop or game difficulty is a is like a whole other topic that maybe we can g- get into on in a spinoff episode or something like that. Um, but I, I I didn't know that. That's interesting. You, I do notice that though in some games when easy is just way too easy and <laughs> hard is just like, what the hell? But yeah, that it's all about going back to that like love and care aspect, mm-hmm. right? Like they actually try to make each difficulty uh, a specific challenge to a specific type of player. And that, you know, that shows in, in, in how the flow of that uh, difficulty works. Right. And my last thing here is uh, the, the bananas are dole endorsed. I just want to point that out. Fantastic. That they actually have product placement in in this game as well as uh, I think some pre- uh, games past that too. Well, bananas have so few opportunities a year to, to cash in on product placement. I feel like you got to strike when, when the iron's hot, you know? Uh, I don't know if you know this, Neil, but doctors actually a lot, some doctors will play super monkey ball 2 to warm up before surgery whoa that's yeah. that's heavy that is crazy right i thought you were going to say they give it to um like rehab patients to uh kind of maybe get their hand eye coordination back or their balance or something like that but that's that's cool so some stats here for it. research conducted with more than 30 300 physicians over three years found that those who warmed up for as little as six minutes with the Super Monkey Ball 2, specifically Super Monkey Ball 2, which is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. before performing simulated lapra, laparoscopic surgery, yeah. uh, were more efficient. Surgeons who played uh, this game for more than three hours per week made 37% fewer errors and were 27% faster and scored 26% better overall than surgeons who had never played this game. Wow. That's that's right. almost scary. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But it, it, it does make sense though, right? Like it's very much like a balance. You have to be very hyper-focused when you're playing it. I wonder what in Monkey Ball they did. Like are they playing the mini games? Are they playing like the golf mini game? Or like I wonder what they're like what there's no surgery mini game and like they're not playing operation or anything like that. No, I think I think it's just I honestly I think it's just the challenge modes that they're doing probably gets them mentally prepared like it's a, it's a, it's almost like doing a sudoku or, or just like a puzzle like it's just a, it's getting your brain in in the mo in the zone to focus yeah do you think they're playing it on gamecube i was thinking that and i hope so i i, I like to think I gotta there's say a gamecube yes. in every hospital <laughs> anyway back of the case the ultimate party game returns your favorite monkeys are back with 12 unbelievable party games an all-new story mode and over 150 new stages lot uh let the get let the good times roll. I screwed that up, uh, and then it, and then it just kind of names a whole bunch of the the uh, mini games here, like boat race, target baseball, soccer, tennis, golf, uh, dog fight. Which There's is, a lot of content in this, this game. game. Is packed, man. This is packed, and only ten months after the first one. So if you like the first one, I would love it if a game that I like that I like gets a game new game every ten months. Are you kidding? <laughs> We're still waiting for Pikmin Four. It's been like twenty years. <laughs> All right, so we're just going to transition now over to the last game on today's episode, which is Super Monkey Ball Adventure, which was released on August 1st, 2006. So a little while after, we had to wait a bit. It was also on PS2 and PSP, so the game is now no longer a GameCube exclusive or arcade. This one was a different developer. It was developed by Traveler's Tales. It was published by Sega. Uh, This game was not as as well received as the first two. It got mainly fives. 
this is a quick departure from the puzzle-based gameplay that we we loved in the, the traditional Super Monkey Ball games. That This kind of became more of like a 3D platformer. But it still goes for about the same price as the first two Monkey Ball games uh, today. If you wanted to pick it up, it, it's around 40 bucks, So it's, mm-hmm. it's not cheaper, even though it's not as well received. It does have its community. Like, it has its fan base, just like every other game that critically is panned. Um, obviously, people... Back then, you know, you, you weren't uh, as uh, privy to what critics said. So if this was the new Monkey Ball game, you, you loved it because, you know, the characters returned. It's bright. It's colorful. You're in a ball. You solve the occasional puzzles. I think the issue was that it just it takes you away from that puzzle solving and, and ball moving around mechanic too much. This game is terrible. Okay. <laughs> I hate I hate this game. I think this I played this game. actually. I was playing it this morning. Yeah, it's terrible. Also, can we just. Uh, say that Nintendo Power gave this game 5.5 out of 10. Yep. That's like a death sentence. Yeah, that's that is a nail. That's a death nail for sure. I've never seen Nintendo Power give something that low. No, ever. I'm trying to think. We we said something about what did they give a couple weeks ago? What were we talking about? Was it an arcade sports game? No, I think it was Spyro that it gave like super low. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I, I tried. I tried. I, Mike, I tried to figure out the plot of this game. <laughs> oh, I no. don't know. I my first point is WTF is the plot. <laughs> there's a wedding happening uh the monkey ball team has to work together to make the wedding of the year i think it's like the plot of romeo and juliet you're uniting feuding mm. kingdoms you got aa mimi gone gone baby they're back or whatever but uh i was playing it this morning i didn't know what was going on i'm rolling around i did enjoy the puzzle mode like the puzzles when they came up that wasn't the problem no that's not the problem at all for sure uh, it's uh, there's a lot of things wrong here uh, so there's a YouTube channel called Slopes. Uh, he's a, uh, a gamer who covers uh, gaming history, and he has some great videos. Check him out. Uh, but he has a complete history of Monkey Ball, which uh, is where I got some of my information from. And he did a little review on this game, and his review was like bang on to everything I've ever like experienced with this game. First of all, it came out months, uh, like within the same like couple months as Banana Blitz, which is... Ah super weird right it's like yeah banana blitz is clearly their game that they want to push and it's like oh also there's this game adventure that's only for the previous gen like that's i don't know that's kind of telling to me when you're releasing something in 2006 and you don't put it to wii yeah yeah what's strange is that like you said earlier how the game you know there's no instructions there's no tutorial their defense was that they they incorporated the plot and the story to make the game more accessible to uh, to newcomers but like the game is already in itself accessible to newcomers they didn't really need to change what was already working exactly right and so you fall off all the time you're constantly you can't jump right Uh, what 3d platformer in the world can you not jump luigi's mansion (laughs) uh okay (laughs) uh is that a 3d platformer yeah Uh, and there's captain toad but i I know i know what you're saying like sorry sorry to derail you (laughs) (laughs) you have to bounce on everything to jump it's so frustrating like this is you get frustrated playing this game after five minutes. I don't know if you did, but I did. Like, oh, I man. just got frustrated with the game constantly talking or stopping to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. You constantly run into somebody who needs to tell you something, and it's 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 not fun to read it, and it's not fun to listen to it. <laughs> I I enjoy when video games have that fake language, like Banjo Kazooie. I think that they do it well there. But yeah. Monkey Ball is just so annoying. It, you got to turn the volume <laughs> yeah. off, and it's just. <laughs> like listen to a podcast or something like that it's it's difficult and that sucks because one of the best parts about monkey ball is the music i know yeah it's which we haven't even talked about yet but the mm-hmm. music in in monkey ball just throughout the whole series is fantastic it is it's got that jungle theme like it, the games are all f- like just fun it, it's got that summer mm-hmm. vibe the island jungle like it's 
and the, the music suits it so well. It, it it's so close to like a Donkey Kong or mo- uh, Monkey Ape Escape. Ape Escape. Thank you. And in the era where there's just so many, there aren't enough monkeys in video games anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why? What happened? Why did they take the monkeys out? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> I, I just think back on that 2000s era where everything was Ape Escape, uh, Monkey Ball, Donkey Kong, Jungle Beat, or whatever. Like, and now, mm-hmm. and it was all you know that drums that you know Phil Collins Tarzan style. It was a great time mm-hmm. and. Yeah, this was this game didn't didn't uh, waver at all on that quality of music. Yeah, it's I mean, Super Monkey Ball Adventure is just a disaster of a game in my opinion. It's uh, I would have put it in unplayable, hmm. but since we have a whole episode dedicated to Super, Super Monkey Ball and Pac Man, I figured we might as well talk about it in in this episode. I don't know if I agree. It's unplayable. Like it's it's fun. as a full priced game. I have a problem with it. If this game was like yeah. nineteen ninety nine, and maybe I mean we, we put like Blood Omen in unplayable, right? So yeah. it's as it's it's just as unplayable as that, right? In that sense, I suppose so. Yeah, I wasn't as hung up with the fact that you couldn't jump just because I've played a bunch of three D platformers. Like I'm also a huge Pikmin fan, which you can't jump in that one either. But, but see, you don't need to jump in. That's that's the difference, that's right? In Pikmin or Luigi's Mansion or anything like that, you don't need to jump, and you have no reason to 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 do that but super monkey ball of course you need to be able to move properly like the whole game is about movement mm-hmm. and constant movement right and so when you put a character like uh, uh what's his name aa in you know kind of almost like a stagnant form in that sense yeah. and just it's it feels so wrong it's uh just bad game mechanics just not really innovative or innovation in the wrong direction mm uh very late also can we just talk about the fact that it's a very late entry to the the 3d platform wave you know at this point yeah most uh, games were kind of getting out of that uh, sense you know we saw that pac-man world 3 also a rather late game coming out in november 2005 and there's a reason why there wasn't another uh, pac-man platform after that because the the games kind of just got tired after about 10 years of this wave uh it was uh it was about it yeah you're right we that was the end of the uh the 3d platforming era once we uh dovetailed into the the wii and the ps3 and the xbox it was all shooters and uh the 3d platform was left behind it's had a, it had a little bit of a resurgence with mario odyssey and uh hat in time and things like that mm-hmm. and yeah it's it, it, it it's very nice in the indie uh, scene, i think that's right? where it fits now unfortunately because it, i think it can do well but it's just yeah like the ukuleles and everything like that those are the that that's kind of where it fits i think unfortunately yeah. and that, that is probably one of my favorite uh genres of games i love i love 3d platformers that's mm-hmm. uh you know as a kid growing up with the n64 that's kind of what you're dealt so um, but yeah, as long as we get it in the indie scene, I think that that's okay. It's kind of where the 2D platformer lives too. So I guess it's fitting that the 3D platformer be there as well. Would you agree that Super Monkey Ball Adventure feels like Sega asserting too much control as they usually do when a game is good, but then they kind of swoop in and, and argue with each other and make their own decisions? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think it was just... They needed to, I guess they needed to reinvent it in some way, like like we said with Super Monkey Ball 2 being critically well-received, but commercially selling less than 800,000 units. I think that they probably looked at their numbers and thought that they had to try something different. But see, isn't it strange that they, they think that, but then they put Adventure on the GameCube and make Banana Blitz, which is definitely a, more of a sequel uh, to Super Monkey Ball 2, and they put that on the new console. Like, this is, this is, this is what I'm talking about with Sega's communication problem. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it had been going on for years at this point. Uh, obviously, we talked about it a lot in the Dreamcast episode, but they, they could never seem to, to fixate on, a, on, you know, and, and see that like that North Star. Right. They, they are, they're always going for different things. They're always trying to put two 
things out and see what people like. You know, a good example is Sonic Mania mm-hmm. and Sonic Forces uh, for the, the new consoles. They know, they know what is good, but they refuse to go full on it, right? It's it's so strange. I, yeah, like they go, yeah, they're almost there. I think maybe what, maybe it just is a, again, this is something that we, we were told not to do, <laughs> but just as a theory that I think might have happened. Uh, this is the yeah. fun. We're just going to try and think about what happened here. Uh, I think that maybe like they, they had these two games that they wanted to release simultaneously. On the one hand, maybe they knew that this game wasn't going to be great, but on they're releasing it on a platform that has more uh, consoles out in the wild than the Wii had. So they have that, there's that attachment rate or the uh, installment yeah, install, rate, uh, yeah. install rate outside. So the GameCube, is the, yeah, the, the GameCube has 22 million units. We're guaranteed of selling at least a few hundred thousand copies of this subpar game. And let's put the good game out on the new hardware, the new fancy Wii, which... I, you know, whenever a console comes out, no one knows how good it's going to do. No one knew when the Wii was announced that it was going to sell 100 million units. Mm-hmm. So maybe they just thought, okay, we need to support both platforms because that's what we do with Nintendo. So let's put the better game on the new console and the worst game on the old one and just try and maybe balance <laughs> it out. Uh, and if and if the game sells well on GameCube, maybe we'll port it to Wii eventually. But in the meantime, this is what yeah. we'll do. That's fair, yeah. Just, I just, just to defend Sega, I'm trying my best to. De- yeah. I always try. I always like to try to defend Sega because I just don't like Sonic. I like Sega. <laughs> I like Sega too, but they just make so many stupid decisions. Yeah, I know. That, that, I know. And it's it's hard because uh, they they have such great people who work for them. And obviously, you and I, who both worked for large companies in the past, uh, we we understand this, you know, so much that it sucks sometimes when you have great people at a company and great minds, but it just terrible management or it's uh, it's yeah. you know bad communication within the company or politics and nepotism, whatever you want, right? Uh, yeah. Always gets in the way of of creating great uh, uh, great games. So and it's usually only between one or two people. Like like to yeah. I don't want to trash all of Sega for this decision. Like it was probably <laughs> no. one person's decision to do something along these lines and and everyone else had to follow for example right that the associate creative director who i was talking about earlier yeah uh the uh what's it ethan einhorn who wrote that article uh that postmortem about super Mike ball 2 for the iphone and ipod uh he clearly has so much care and passion for this franchise it's it's tough to see because there's people like this at sega who are clearly great people and great uh workers and and really care about what they do yeah and then there's obviously people who just you know they just don't get it. Yeah, they just stumble and they bring everybody else down. But yeah. unfortunately, I mean, well, not unfortunately. Let's end it on a high note. Monkey Ball is still <laughs> very a very successful and a very well-known franchise for, for what it is. I mean, the mm-hmm. most recent uh, game was, the like you said, the remastered Banana Blitz HD on the Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. That was released not even a year ago. And I, I believe it's doing respectively well. So I think that this franchise has a future. Um, I don't think Pac-Man World does. We usually talk about where we see these franchises <laughs> going forward. I think, I think Pac-Man is it is what it is. I think it's a legacy franchise that will exist in yeah. the mail or Melee's, in the Smash Broses and the the odd racing game like Namco will put out uh, just to kind of throw Pac-Man into something as a as like a you know an enter- entertainment just for something goofy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that Pac-Man will ever get like a gritty, realistic, you know, third person platforming game again. Nor should he right it, no it's not the place for him. no definitely not i i think i think they could come out with like a 2d another 2d party game and be totally fine with that yeah but yeah i think monkey ball despite the the, the trips and falls in the mid 2000s i think that you know they obviously went through the 2010s very well with their uh with their mobile uh, offerings and i think that with these hd remakes and possibly a new entry into the series i think we're going to see them come back in a fairly successful way 
I, th- I, I I'd hope so. I I want that more than anything. More than anything, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. More than anything. If you had to, if you had a genie, that's the first thing you're wishing. <laughs> Whoa. This commercial? Yeah. That was when they were still yelling. <laughs> so, so that's uh that's the Super Monkey Ball two commercial that came out uh in uh, 2002 or whenever yeah 2000 sounds like 2002 it's the commercial where it's a bunch of adults in an elevator and they all have uh like baby voices or like toddler voices oh i guess the whole idea is supposed to be like <laughs> like uh your in your inner child will love this game or something but it's creepy it's really weird yeah. <laughs> i don't like it. i don't like picturing that those were grown men and women uh making those sounds that's terrifying also it's something about the lighting too in those uh, in those ads of the early 2000s like the game the original gamecube ad had the same kind of lighting you know what i kind mean it's dark, just like shadowy yeah it's like he lights almost yeah. that, that are on everyone's face but it just makes them look strange and makes everything look dull around it it's like the saturation got bump down so they basically tried to market this game like a milton bradley board game and I, it kind of is like a board game in that sense so yeah i like that it should i respect be. that like that you know yeah everybody knows the mousetrap uh, ads and everything like that we're not going to get into that now <laughs> all right so let's let's read the back of the case here and uh close out the uh, the episode it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case let's read them and now we're reading the back of the case your monkey to the ultimate test. (laughs) (laughs) I always love that first line that every game has. Join AA and his friends on an adventure across five worlds with 60 quests. See, this game's already smaller. Six frantic party games. Race, fight, target, bounce, tag, and cannon. Ten monkey ball powers. Wood, fire, sticky, and more. Fifty puzzle stages will have you racing to beat your best time. Five unique worlds with over 50 characters to meet and 60 quests to beat. They just read what's on the back of the case. There's words written on the back of the case. They just read them. And that's what's written on the back of the case. Yeah, it feels like that you're meeting 50 characters and it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to meet 50 characters in Monkey Ball? That's the thing. It's like they take. They seem to take out so much. Oh, are you done the case? Yeah, that's the case. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I, I'm just saying. I'm just yeah. like mad now. No, I. Uh, I that's the thing is that they take like like Super Monkey Ball Two has so much content in it and so much good content. There's yeah. there, there's nothing in there that I don't want to play. Where here you take out content and you put in quote unquote fifty different characters. It's, and it feels like it. Like how many? After you see five monkeys, like they start to they start to look the same. <laughs> Like in any in any of the GameCube games in that generation, you can't have fifty unique NPCs and have it still be fun. Where this isn't this isn't Skyrim, this isn't Red Dead, this isn't any of those games yet. I'm mad now. I tried to give Monkey Ball a chance at the end there, but I take it all back. I hope Monkey Ball dies in the fire. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, with that said, Neil, is there any game on this list that you would highly recommend someone to pick up today? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, from the... I know the franchise well, so I'd have to go with Monkey Ball 2 since that one is the closest to Monkey Ball 1. I think that quality-wise, I think that that's probably uh, the safest bet to, to, to play. Uh, it's got uh, enough to, to play on your own if you're looking for some challenges, and it's also fun with friends. Uh, a game that I'm going to be looking for now once I get out there back to the uh, the retro video game stores, I'll be looking for Pac-Man World 2. Nice. Yeah. Well, how about yourself? What game would you recommend? I think we're probably on the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I try and say something different than you each week, but for this one, I have to say Super Monkey Ball 2. It's it's such a such a complete game. It's I think it's the best way to play Super Monkey Ball, maybe save for the Super Monkey Ball Deluxe that exists on uh, PS2 and uh, and some other um, systems. And something that we haven't really talked about for any of these games is how fun they're, they're, they are today. And Super Monkey Ball 2, to play it today, is just as fun, I'd say, uh, as it was playing it uh, 18 years ago. Yeah, the frame rate's all smooth. The controls are tight. Um, it Load times are, are very quick. It's 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 definitely a, a must-pick-up-and-play game mm-hmm. uh, at parties and things like that. There's no, like you know, frame rate drops or texture pop-ins. It's just, you know, if you die, you start right back at the, or you don't die, you fall off the stage. You start right back at the start and uh, you, you go, go, go. And I don't know if it's, it might, it feels like a 30 frame per second game. I don't think it's 60, but it's smooth throughout the entire game. So mm-hmm. it, what you need in a game like this where precision is key, you're moving a ball around a platform. It needs to be tight. So yeah, it, it, in 2020, this is definitely a game that, that has aged very well, which can't be said for a lot of other <laughs> 3D platforming games of this generation. No, definitely not. All right. Uh, so did you want to close out this uh, this episode? Sure. Yes. So thank you all for listening to the Super Monkey Ball and Pac-Man uh, episode of the GameCube was cool podcast. Next week, we will be talking about a different adventure game. And this one will be Star Fox Adventures, which uh, is a very polarizing. Bad. Is... <laughs> I'm going to use the word polarizing. We're going to have our friend Jed on the podcast. He's a big fan of Star Fox Adventures. So we're going to see Neil oh, and Jed no. go head to head on what we think about this game. And we'll also be talking about two other games, uh, Eternal Darkness and Cubivore. And now the reason for having these three games together is that this is also going to be another double A type episode. And Star Fox, Eternal Darkness, and Cubivore were all released relatively around the same period of time. And funny enough, they all were supposed to be released on N64 in some way or another. So that's what links those three games together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, uh, we found a, a, a common, common denominator between the three games. And there's also the fourth common don- denominator, which is that Mike does not like the N64. Of course. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. if, if these that. games had released on N64, Mike would have absolutely despised them and would never have talked about them again. But luckily, they were all delayed or reskinned as uh, new games, mm-hmm. and uh, we got them on the GameCube. And all three of these games are very well, very well known. Every collector is looking for these three games, especially Cubivore. Cubivore, especially Cubivore. I can't wait yeah. to hear the price for Cubivore. I know it's one of the most expensive games, uh, not even just for GameCube, but just uh, for video games themselves. So very, very rare. Yeah, I think that that one will rank as the highest priced game thus far. Well. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Goodbye, guys. Take care. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.